Hello everyone and welcome to another podcast episode and my goodness this one is going to blow your mind trust me it was a crazy crazy experience recording it but let me just say something before we get into the actual podcast this podcast you will notice is a lot longer than my other podcast episodes that I've released and that meant that I had to keep stopping and starting my camera every 25 minutes because the camera and the recording equipment that I'm using for these podcast episodes is budget equipment that I bought when I first started this project. Please, can you help me with this? If you would like to support me financially so that I can upgrade my equipment, I can improve the production quality of what I do, and then we can compete with the other content creators online. This is extremely important. You can do this three ways. You can either buy the merchandise, you can join the Patreon, or you can send me a direct donation on jeremyindica.com. I'll put all the links to those ways you can support in the description if I can just begin to improve the equipment and the production quality and the look of all of this we can appeal to more people and get this subject onto more people's table which is very very important for us in this overall mission of protecting children now for this podcast episode my goodness it was so so challenging to record it is a roller coaster of emotions and as the podcast episode plays you're going to see what I'm talking about here. This may be really challenging for you. It may actually make you consider how you think about these subjects in a deeper detail, but it is food for thought. And I give my opinions and my thoughts as we go through the documentary that I reviewed. Now, listen, we are really evolving this conversation with every podcast episode. I hope you feel that. I hope with every listen that you come across, you're seeing that we're actually really building on this conversation. And that is very important. Get ready for it. We're moving forward with this. Come on. Thank you so much. Okay, so this is not going to be easy. This is going to be a huge challenge for me to go through this documentary that I've found that is talking or discussing or introducing what paedophiles have got to say. Now, the documentary is actually titled I, Paedophile Screener. Now, I don't know why that title is there like that. It doesn't really make any sense to me. But I actually came across this documentary because a gentleman on Twitter had shared a couple of my posts, and he is a academic researcher in this field and he is the producer of this documentary and I scrolled through his Twitter he's saying some very interesting things at the very least some things that are definitely going to um, create emotion in us and then I went to his documentary I watched it and now I want to bring it to everybody that is here um, engaging with this podcast this is the side of the discussion about CSA, child sexual abuse, that makes everybody very, very angry, but so angry that we can't even talk about it. Every time I pose this situation that we have on our hands, whether you like it or not, the situation that in the in the in the crime of sexual abuse we have the offender. And even though we are 
angry at the offender for committing the offence, and rightly so, so we should be, we also need to have a discussion on what we are going to do with the offender once they've committed the crime, served their prison sentence and are released out into back into our communities. And we also need to have the conversation on how we're going to get to these people before they commit the crime. Because I'm going to say that it's not like they wake up one morning and all of a sudden they're going to perform a sexual act on a child. There's probably many stages that came before that. Where were we in all those stages trying to maximise the chance that they will not commit the crime in the first place? Now, the common reaction that I get to this of just kill them, castrate them, line them up and shoot them is an anger response that isn't in our world, that isn't going to stop the crime from happening. We don't give the death sentence out to any crime in this country. And if you caught the video that I made quite recently, the podcast episode that I released quite recently that was titled Sex Offenders and the Death Sentence, you will see that it's not that straightforward even if we wanted to implement it. So it's very complicated but we need to talk about offenders and we need to talk about the people that are thinking about offending because we all have a common goal. We all have the same mission, and that is to stop the crime from happening to children in the first place. And sometimes I feel like saying, that's our responsibility to sort that out, because we're always talking about the education of children. We're always talking about, let's get these children educated. But somebody very cleverly told me once, how dare we put the ownership on children to protect themselves. How dare we do that? We've created a world, we live in a world that adults created and there are criminals out there that we haven't stopped from committing the crime in the first place. It's not that it's not the responsibility of children to protect themselves from adults that can't handle themselves. It's the responsibility of us adults to get the other adults that are going to commit this crime to handle themselves and not commit it in the first place. So that's what I'll say about that. And I believe that to be very, very true, actually. So the documentary, we're going to go through it. We're going to see what it's saying. I have watched it before. It's extremely impactful. It's extremely thought-provoking. Stick with me on it. If you get angry, if you feel a certain emotion, if you see sense in what this documentary is saying, if you disagree or agree with it, get your comments in the comments section. Don't be silently angry behind the computer screen, behind your earphones, however you're consuming this podcast episode, because we all need to get involved in the discussion. And the way the discussion unfolds in the comments section shows me how we're feeling about it at the moment and helps me progress this work. Let's start the documentary Get ready for it. Let's see what it's about. I hated myself. I totally hated myself for many, many years. I was angry. Angry with God. Because why in the hell would you make me this way? I do try not to pay attention to children. That's purely because I can be very easily distracted by them. Rather than making it easier for him to come into a therapist, We've made it practically impossible. And somehow society believes that this is making them safer. There are still really only two teams in the entire world working on this at all. 
my group in Canada and the Dunkelfeld project in Germany. You have to take into account that these people are among us. They're innocent children. They shouldn't have to be condemned because they have placed a criminal across our street. If you want to protect children, why is there no help for these people who are sexually attracted to children? Why is there nowhere that these people can go? Why do you wait until a crime has been committed and then you go out and prosecute somebody, but until then, you do nothing? what an opening what an incredible opening and that's that just blows me away it just it just it just is so impactful here's the title of the documentary shown on the screen here if you're listening on your podcast app i am going to try to walk you through the visuals but if you are listening to your this to this on your podcast app and you have an opportunity or you have some time later to actually go and also watch this on um, YouTube where I'm going to post the visual of this, please do because the visuals are strong on this documentary. But this opening scenes have um, just laid out the situation on the table and the most impactful words were, we're all very happy to get involved when the crime has been committed, but by then that's too late. The child has been abused. The child is on a, the child's life has been redirected due to that sexual abuse. Where were we before that? When are we going to admit there are people in our communities that, and 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 and, and, and oh, there are people in the in in our communities that are tempted to commit this crime. Are we not going to get involved with them in some way to change their mind? Let's continue with the documentary. For those listening, it's just a few visuals. It's just beautiful. Okay. It's the house that we'd always wanted. They can just play outside by themselves for hours. Why would we ever want to move from here? My four-year-old knows something's going on. He doesn't know exactly what's going on, but it totally affects him. He thinks there's a bad guy there and says, well, well, what does he do to kids? But you should never even have to have that conversation with a four-year-old. Like, they should just be able to be free. My daughter should be able to run around in her underwear through the sprinkler in my front yard. Just to give some context for those that are listening on your podcast app, this is a mother with a family, and she's discussing the fact that convicted paedophiles have moved into her neighbourhood. They're innocent children. They shouldn't have to be condemned because they have placed a criminal across our street. People in the city are being warned about James William Conway. The 40-year-old has a long criminal record, including sex offenses against girls. Corrections believes Conway is a high risk to reoffend. My husband, he's just been having like a real hard time with this. How do you protect your wife and kids legally 
He doesn't know. He leaves during the day to go to work. He's not here. I mean, it takes him probably an hour to get home if anything were to happen. He watches my kids play every day. One day, he'll decide that it's enough of being in that house and then whose kid is gonna be hurt. Whether corrections or community living believe this is the right spot for him, it's not. There is no place for him here and the community will not stop. So what I just want to say is that I think there's a big difference here in the conversation between somebody that has committed the offence against a child and somebody who has not. So I open this podcast up almost suggesting that we need to work with these people that have never committed the crime, that feel tempted to. They're starting to get worried about what they're being drawn to online and they're starting to worry about what's going on in their head and they, they want to... Um, work through their thoughts so that they never actually commit the crime that is a different conversation to somebody who has already committed the crime and for the people that have already committed the crime against the child the convicted sex offender the convicted paedophile I do see the anger I do feel the anger and I wouldn't want one moving around the corner from my house and I wouldn't want them living in any community in fact because you never know however much, however, however um, many therapists they go to see when they're going to commit that crime again. And, and that's why this community on this documentary are angry. They don't want them anywhere near their kids. They don't want them uh, around the corner from them, and rightly so. So that's where the anger comes from. Now, the conversation of um, a few people that are out there that are saying uh, we still need to have a level of... And I just know empathy is the wrong word because empathy kind of relates to kindness and 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 we we I, I don't have time uh, for that with somebody that's committed the crime. But a lot of people are saying if we don't have some form, for lack of a better word, right now that I have, if we don't have some form of empathy for for that person that's committed the crime we're never actually going to work with them so then to increase the chances that they're not going to commit the crime again we're never going to be we're never going to be able to um, make this 100% sure um, that they're not going to be able to commit the crime again and I can almost just <laughs> I can almost just hear the people who are watching this or listening to this being like but if you kill them that will be the 100% guarantee that they'll never commit the crime but you know, we've been through all of that already. We've been through all of that already. That's not as simple. Uh, it's, a, it's largely more complicated than that. And very interestingly, when I released that podcast episode um, a little while ago, again, I say it, sex offenders in the death sentence, there's a lot of people out there that don't agree with the death sentence at all. So so that's not like a 100% vote for, for the death sentence coming in for this crime. So let's continue. 
I volunteered for every job that they offered me that was dangerous. Mexico, Colombia, Central America, South America, Peru. I was a demolitions expert. I was a weapons expert. Most people would see me as guy, you know, a, a guy, not a, you know, somebody. Okay, I got to stop it here because I've got to tell you what's on the screen here. If you're listening to this, this is Bob. Um, and he, they have written his name on the screen, but they've also said they've also written under his name, age of attraction, boys, seven to twelve years old. Who's actually attracted to children? Through my teenage years, I was, I would say, I was extremely depressed, uh, very angry. My attraction wasn't aging with me. Um, it was staying in that same area of, you know, say, you know, seven to say 12, and usually at the lower end. Wow. They may think of me as a monster, a freak, whatever, but the way that they feel about me, I've felt that, I've felt worse for myself. Everybody always tries to talk about a cure and I got news for you. If there was ever a cure for something like this, I'd be in line. This attraction makes your life a living hell, makes you an outcast. I do try not to pay attention to children. That's purely because I can be very easily distracted by them. There are times where somebody will, will stand out and catch my attention and I can't help but look. And it's, you know, it's one of those situations where you need to slap yourself to, to, to not make it look completely obvious that you're transfixed by, by the beauty of a child. Oh my God. There is an attraction to children there that's just far deeper than sexual and that's what people don't understand. I think people conflate pedophilia with this kind of sadistic urge to hurt children and to, to, to take advantage of those that are most vulnerable in society. When I was, uh, when I was in my mid-twenties, um, this was the stage where I was becoming increasingly aware of, of this. Okay, this is Edward, by the way. Age of attraction, girls six plus paedophilic tendency within and I was struggling I have to say I was struggling you know with the idea that there was the potential there within me to to sexually interact with a child there was nobody to speak to as such the the woman that I was with at the time um, well she had plenty of her own issues but she was kind enough to want to know what my issues were. It was like flicking a switch. Um, from sitting next to me on the couch, she stood up pretty much like a soldier on a t to attention and crossed the room, sat down, lit a cigarette and just sat there looking at me. Within the week, 
the news was out. For a whole town where you've been living for the majority of your life, where you've been based, to then find out that you have a pedophilic tendency, it's the end. But I thought, well, if I can get help, you know, maybe there's a reason, maybe there's a, a way of changing this. Maybe I can be different. I said to the psychiatrist, look, I, I can't imagine myself doing anything, but you know, I, I can't get these thoughts out of my head. He looked at me like I was an alien, like I had two heads. And I thought, why am I doing this? Why have I even bothered to tell anybody? Nobody wants to know, and everybody's hating me for this. I didn't want to be looked at again, like this guy had been looking at me. It was like, you know, horror. This, this man is sexually attracted to little girls. Okay, let's stop it there for a moment. Okay. So we've just had three gentlemen on there. One, age of attraction was boys, 7 to 12. Next was age of attraction, girls, 6 plus. Next was age of attraction. I can't remember now what the third one was. But they're all explaining something similar, and that is that if they could not have this in their head, if there was a cure, if there was a pill to take so that they could not have this in their head, they would take it. And actually, they hate themselves for it in some way. Don't let that make you feel angry at them, right? And the reason why I say that is because if these three gentlemen have not committed the crime against a child, they've never gone near a child before, they've not committed a crime against a child, they're all explaining the same thing. And that is they can't go anywhere for the help that they're looking for they want to understand what's in their head. They want to deal with it. They are not interested in committing the crime. And yes, you may say they may not want to commit the crime right now, but what in a year's time? And I'm like, yeah, what about in a year's time? What about if we push them all in a corner and turn the light out on them and turn around and just hope and pray with our fingers crossed that they're never going to commit the crime? Then I think we've got something we're going to be, sh we, we, we're going to, we, we're not helping. But for these kind of gentlemen who are admitting to themselves they've got an issue, they know it's in their head and they would seek help if it was available, should we not have help for them? Now look, I am understanding the more I do this work that not every person that gets a sexual thrill out of a child is like this, right? There are some people who just don't give an F. They're going to go out there, they're going to commit that crime, they're going to commit crimes online, they're going to attack as many children as possible and they don't care. They're in communities and chat rooms online where they're all talking about how to get away with it. They just don't care. And even if you catch them and you put them away for five years into prison, they're going to come out and they're just going to look for better ways to not get caught next time. I get it. I get it. I think we've got to accept that there's a spectrum of people with this desire 
in this head, in their head, with this attraction in their head. And this has got nothing to do with normalizing paedophilia, normalizing wanting to do something with an underage person. It's got nothing to do with normalizing it. I don't want to see this being normal, but what I'd like to see is the support for people that want it be normal. And I often turn this on its head and think to myself, the 25-year-old man that was sexually abusing me when I was eight years old, if he was one of these people, let's say two years before he got to me, he was thinking, oh my God, when I walk down the street, like this man was saying in this documentary, when I walk down the street, I see eight-year-old boys and I can't stop looking at them and thinking disgusting things about them. I need to see someone, but I can't go and see someone because I'm a nurse. This guy that did this to me was a nurse. I'll lose my job. Therapists will tell the police about me or or the whole town will know and then I'll be alienated. So I better keep this to myself. Two years later, the temptations grew and grew and grew and then he came for me. He got access to me and he took his opportunity. If he was the kind of guy that was like these guys, that before they got before he got to me, he recognised what was in his head and would have seeked some kind of support before he actually committed the crime on me, would I have wanted the support to be available for these people? Yes. Would that have made it a guarantee that he would have left me alone? No. Would it have increased the chances that he would have left me alone and my life be very, very different? Yes. Increase the chances by at least 1%, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. You give me 5% chance, increase of chance that he would have left me alone, I'm taking it. But none of that was available if he would have taken it anyway. But what these three, what these three gentlemen are showing us, for the, for the, for the, for the portion of the people that have this attraction in their head to minors, underage children, that they recognise what's going on. Very, very, very interesting. And let me just quickly tell you before before we restart before we start the documentary again, the producer of this documentary that was at the very start of this, James Canton, his name is, he's from Canada. I've contacted him and I've asked him to come onto the podcast. We should be recording that in a couple of weeks. Keep an eye out for that because if I can pull that off and we can speak to the person who's done all the research for this documentary, it's going to be really really interesting. Okay, let's continue. The day before somebody gives in to his sexual interest in children, he was a person who was struggling with his sexual interest in children. And that's the day we failed him. Huh. Rather than making it easier for him to come into a therapist, we've made it practically impossible. This is a guy I hopefully will be in. So rather than so. having a pedophile out in society receiving support or medication, we have a pedophile out in society receiving absolutely no supervision whatsoever. It's facts, man. And somehow society believes that this is making them safer. It's facts. It's facts. It doesn't make us feel good, but it's facts. It makes us angry, but seriously, he's talking sense almost, surely. What I was expecting to see in the early days was just a pattern of strengths and weaknesses that might be different among the pedophiles than the non-pedophiles. What we did find, however, was their IQs were a little bit lower, their scores on memory tests were slightly lower. 
One of the interesting things that we found was a difference in height. Pedophiles seem to be slightly shorter, about 2.5 centimeters shorter than a non-pedophile. Now, just for perspective, the amount by which a pedophile is too short is double the amount that would happen if a woman smoked when she was pregnant. Then other findings started emerging. In a regular everyday population, somewhere between 8 and 10% uh, of people are non-right-handed. But it was over 30% of the pedophiles. That's extremely rare. The only other populations which have non-right-handedness differences that high are people with schizophrenia and people with autism. Each of these clues all together were pointing us over and over again to something in the brain. The hard part was when we started getting the results and they were not the results we thought. In those days, everything we knew was on the surface of the brain but they found these large differences in the connective tissue. The layer of tissue under the outside of the brain is composed of what we call white matter. It's mostly fibrous tissue that connects the various parts of the brain together so it functions as a cohesive whole. And there are huge differences. When we show a regular heterosexual man pictures of a nude female, certain parts of the brain light up. The visual areas of the brain light up, the face recognition part of the brain, the movement parts of the brain, the areas we would expect. When we show a pedophile a picture of a child, the very same areas of the brain light up. All of the areas that light up, both in pedophiles and in adults, are all connected through the same set of white matter tissue that my team detected being different between pedophiles and non-pedophiles. Oh my goodness, this is more than interesting and I believe extremely valuable because I think whenever I'm talking about offenders against children, we're thinking that actually they're just people who woke up one morning, went out of their house and decided to try to groom a child for sex. Uh, like, and I have posed, if you're following me, I've posed a number of times the question of, are pedophiles born with this in them or does something in their life make them this way because I pose that question because I want us to think a bit more deeper into what's charging these people into this attraction what's actually stimulating them what's actually giving them a thrill and this is so interesting that that um, this clinical psychologist hopefully is going to come onto my podcast is saying that when you show a heterosexual man a picture of a nude woman, it fires certain parts of their brain because that's like a deep, that's like so deeply ingrained in that heterosexual man to find the photograph of a nude woman thrilling and arousing and exciting, right? It's like, it's like eons of evolution. But in the brain of a paedophile, a photo of a child is igniting those same brain circuits. So that makes me think, well, what's gone wrong here? Is this like a genetic flaw? Is this something that was a ro um, sorry, um, a misfiring in the brain? And has this been there since birth, but has, mm, um, uh, um, uh, what's the right word here? 
core. I've got, to, I've got to be so careful with how I try to explain what's in my head here because I know the wrong word could give the wrong impression when we're trying to talk calmly about these topics. As it in the brains from birth, is it a, is it a misfiring? Is it a, a miswiring? Um, or has it has it evolved throughout that person's life? Uh, because we don't like to think that a baby could be born evil, like like with this with this with this problem in their head. Because then, what you're going to look at your baby boy and, and and be like they're destined to find children attractive. <laughs> no one wants to be faced with that. So is it something in their life that has turned their brain into firing like this? Or is it a mixture of the two? Are, are different cases different uh, for different people? Um, uh, but but when you start thinking about the brain, not, not just a person's behaviour, like it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. And I think the better we understand that, the better conversation we're going to have around this and the better chance we have of getting these people to not commit the crime in the first place. Let's continue. It's as if there's a literal cross-wiring in the brain. This was really the first, you know, pretty undeniable proof that pedophilia is in the brain and not going to change. Pedophilia is something that a person does not ask for. It's biological. It's in their brain. They're born with it, and we can't change it. When you get right down to it, there are still really only two teams in the entire world working on this at all. My group in Canada and the Dunkelfeld Project in Germany. Wow, 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 come on. This is crazy. The biggest difference between Germany and Canada, and much of the rest of the world for that matter, is that Germany still protects doctor-patient confidentiality in a way that most other countries do not. In Germany, because they don't have mandatory reporting, they can get people with no history of ever having offended uh, against children and invite those people to participate in research studies. If a pathometric test says that somebody's a pedophile and they're not, you've ruined somebody's life. The clinician can say, I don't think the test is correct, but once that's in the hand of a lawyer or a courtroom system, you have ended the person's life as they know it. So we have specifically biased the test in favor of not diagnosing pedophilia. Wow. There are two ways a test can be wrong. A test can say somebody is a pedophile when they're not, or a test can say somebody is not a pedophile when they actually are. It's easier and more effective to think of this as two numbers. What's the probability of missing something? If I tell you I'm a drug addict, maybe you will come to me as you're my neighbor and I would like to drink a bottle of wine, and I would say, no, I, I don't drink wine because I'm an alcoholic. I would not lose your respect. I wouldn't. But if I tell you I can't take care for your son because I'm pedophilically inclined, I'm completely right in my answer and in my behavior, but I'm at this moment I'm stigmatized. Okay. That gentleman is the um involved in the Duncanfield project, which is the second uh, the, the 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 gentleman said, didn't they? There's only two 
places on the planet that are doing research on this. In Canada with his organisation and this gentleman here is from Germany with the Duncan Fell Project and they're the other organisation. They have a couple of TV adverts out which were really, really powerful. Maybe I, I should do a podcast on those. Um, but what he's trying to highlight, which I, which I think is really interesting, but I'd like to know what your opinion on this is. And please continue commenting. The more comments you can put in the comment section of this podcast the more you're going to encourage a discussion for others to also put comments in and then we're going to get this ball rolling on just talking about these issues. He talks, he said, didn't he, if you're an alcoholic and you come to my house and I offer you wine, you're going to say, no, thank you because I'm an alcoholic and I don't go near that. But then if you were to say, um, if if somebody was if you were to go around somebody's house and they would say, oh, could you just watch my children for five minutes while I go to the bathroom? And you said, no, I can't do that because I'm a paedophile and I don't go near children. That the the reaction is going to be like miles different, right? The reaction is miles different, and I think this gentleman's trying to get at that's an error on our part because actually that's not allowing these people to come forward and be honest about what they've got going on in their head. But for me, I'm kind of looking at it in a little bit of a different way. Because I'm thinking also that is the shame of having these thoughts in your head, is the is the shame of it, is, is, is that there for a reason that isn't... Um, uh, is that there for a reason that doesn't come to mind immediately? Like, I wonder why we have shame on certain things in society in general. Let's say um, adultery, cheating on your wife or cheating on your husband. Um, I'm going to say more so back in the day, there was a shame to that because essentially what that will often do is break up the family the children are left with separated parents I come from a separated parent home as well so I'm not trying to say that's I'm not trying to trying to uh, tread on that but what I'm saying is it's not ideal right to have both parents is ideal so there was a shame around adultery because they knew that it would split parents up and that shame was there to prevent people from doing it I am not educated in that I would love somebody who knew more about the origin of shame um, to come forward and tell us about that. But is there a shame around this attraction towards children because we don't accept it? We don't want that to be happening. We don't want that in you. Is it, is, is it, am I getting anywhere with this? Um, like w with what I'm saying here? Am I making any sense? I'm not sure. It's, it's really... I've just thought about that off the top of my head and maybe I've got that completely wrong. Um, help me out, please. Comment section, comment section, comment section. I can't say it enough. Okay, let me read this for you. Prevention Project Duncanfeld is the only place in the world that offers treatment to paedophiles who wish to remain anonymous. Next bit. Their access to non-offending paedophiles gives them the major advantage when it comes to research. Because we are dealing with self-motivated and cooperative um, persons, they will tell us everything. This is a huge difference between the so-called Dunkelfeld. So these are not legally known persons. The justice system is not involved. 
if the justice system is involved, you will not tell the medical doctor everything. <laughs> you can choose between helping maybe one child or to create circumstances under which you can help much more children. Pedophilia is part of human sexuality. And what we have to tell the public is that we should not condemn the preference, we should condemn the false behavior. It's very important to differentiate because then we can enhance the chance to reach this group. Okay. Again, it's facts, isn't it? It's facts. In the beginning, I was very confused. Then I thought, they aren't children. They're already at an age where they are starting to become interested in their sexuality. She was smart, beautiful. Her hips weren't pronounced yet, her breasts were small. She was 13. She had the body of a girl. For so long, I thought about how I could get away with this. When a scientist says pedophilia, we mean specifically a sexual interest for children who are prepubertal. We use a different word to describe the attraction to early pubescent children. We call that hebophilia. If a regular everyday heterosexual man finds somebody attractive in a bar, the smallest little move can be interpreted as flirtatious. A touch of a drink, a touch of the lips. The thing that makes a pedophile willing to give in to their sexual interests is to fool themselves into seeing a situation other than how it is. When they meet a child that they happen to find attractive, and children are often naturally friendly or naturally cuddly, to a pedophile, that can seem flirtatious. Wow. They convince themselves into thinking that this kid knows what it is that they're doing, they know the nature of the interaction, and they start making more and more sexual overtures towards the child. Seriously, I'm going to put the link to the to the docu um to this documentary in full in the in the caption here because you know, if you get a moment, if you're listening to this, if you get a moment in the next few days, please go and watch this because there is some striking visuals on here. I put two links in the in the description of the podcast. I will put the YouTube one where I'm reviewing this, and I will put the straight documentary because these visuals are um, really painting a picture. They're very very strong and well done. It's not difficult for a pedophile to turn 
a stranger into a mentorship relationship, into a closer relationship, into one that the pedophile will see as romantic and potentially sexual, even though to the child, it's just play. Okay. One day, I was giving her a private lesson. And I started stroking her arms, her upper body. I complimented her and kissed her. To me, it felt right. I could tell she wasn't enjoying it. Oh my goodness. She must have reported it soon after, because there was this restlessness at school. Everyone wanted to know what happened. At home, I told my wife that the girl had misunderstood the situation. And at first, she believed me. But as the criminal proceedings began, I realized that I couldn't get out of this. They were going to convict me, so I told her everything. She was furious, and who could blame her? She felt betrayed, so she left. My wife and I, we've done um, foster care, actually. And- Okay, okay, before we get into this gentleman. So those people, Everything that's just been explained in this chunk of the documentary. First of all, where James Canton, the clinical psychologist, talks about the fact that the abuser, the paedophile that's going for this young teenager or child may think, may misread signs, may think that the child, that child's playful and gentle and kind nature, they may mistake that for uh, for flirting not mistake it so much so, but be brainwashed themselves, to, to, to brainwash themselves, to to think that it's flirting, to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? To brainwash themselves, to think that that child is flirting with them, to kind of convince themselves that what they're aiming to do is okay, and that the child wants it in some way. Then we have this uh, other gentleman who just explained um, and visually the scene that this documentary had portrayed was uh, that teacher um, was giving a piano lesson to his student and he put his hand on her shoulder and went to kiss her and she was freezing but he thought he was okay and it's like well can we not educate people into understanding that those thoughts in their head are incorrect. They've completely misdrewed, they've completely misread the situation. And can we not give them the tools to understand that if they're feeling the way that this young underage teenager or child is, in air quotes, flirting with them, to, so, to give them the tools to read that that is not flirting and that is actually the child just being the child. It's the young teenager being the young teenager nature and they need to get out of that situation immediately can we not give this education to those who have this attraction in their head that come forward for help so we could increase the chance that they recognize when they're thinking like that and they stop themselves and they get themselves out of the situation okay let's let's go for the next guy who's going to chat here and who could blame her she felt betrayed 
so she left. My wife and I, we've done um, foster care, actually. And um, we've had some great experiences with it. Um, you know, we were able to make some, some children who may have started out having a really rough life have a lot of fun. A young boy who was in our care at the time, he was uh, eight years old. And I was trying to deal with, you know, my own feelings. Made it really tough. And unfortunately, I reached for the internet. Most of the pictures that I searched out were of boys swimming or in their underwear. I wanted to see them happy. I saw some pictures online that were, you know, of children being hurt, but they're not the pictures that I, I was interested in. The police came to my house. I admitted to what I had done. I think if I could do it all over again, at least that part would be much different. They searched my computer, they found what I had. They took a lot of a lot of rolls of film that had absolutely nothing to do with what happened. We can never get them back. That's your fault, mate. I had a total of 25 pictures uh, that were considered illegal and pornographic. And I was charged for every one of them. Okay, words on the screen. Bob was charged with 25 counts of possession of child pornography. He was sentenced to 48 months in prison. He is defending himself saying they were just boys in swimming situations. They shouldn't have taken all the other photos from his house. And this is where my attitude is different. You committed the crime, mate. Right? You didn't resist committing the crime. Right? You have been charged with 25 counts of possession of child pornography. You committed the crime. You are part of the problem. You didn't resist what happened in your head. You are going to get the comeuppance. We ain't got time for you. I don't care if they took every possession that you ever had and never gave it back to you. You committed the crime. We don't accept that. We don't accept that. You went out there and you searched for something you knew you shouldn't be searching for. I don't care if the police arrived and you admitted to the crime immediately because you knew you did wrong. You committed the crime. And as soon as you commit the crime, you are in a different box completely. I ain't got time for it. And I don't like you. End of. The fact you got 48 months in prison, I hope that there were stringent therapy sessions and analyzation before they release you right to ensure that you're not still a threat and the fact that you committed the crime and the fact that you're actually a foster parent I think you should be nowhere near children in any situation I think your family should know about it I think anyone whose house you go around should know about it I think 
your internet should be monitored for the rest of your life. I think you should be on a register for the rest of your life. And for anybody that's like, chill out, Jeremy, it was just looking at some internet, uh, some images of young boys doing X, Y, Z. For them to classify it as child pornography, I'm guessing it wasn't just the swimming images that he talked about here. That's a crime in itself that we don't accept because if you look for that type of imagery, you've got to remember that child pornography, which it's not called that anymore, is child sexual abuse material, has been created by somebody because there's a demand there. And child sexual abuse material is videos and pictures being taken of real children being sexually abused to satisfy people's perverse fantasies. No thank you, we don't accept it, you should have the book thrown at you, you should have got more than 48 months in prison. Done. Some stuff uh, I don't ever want to see again, I don't want to remember what I've seen. I was masturbating two or three times a day. It got to the stage where I was doing it in public toilets, in public cubicles. And um, it sounds incredibly foolish, but, and it is, but when you're that out of control and you have no help, you have no discourse for sorting it. I mean, my, my experiences of trying to talk to people about this were, were I was never gonna go back to a therapist. I'd already changed my name thinking that I'd left this part of myself behind me. People are allowed to hate this demographic, this, this population, this minority in our species. You can say what you want to them, you can think what you like about them, and in an ideal world, you can do what you want to them. The first month or so, I mean, I was scared to death. Being that I was labeled as a sex offender, there was a huge target on me. Okay, we're talking about prison I didn't now. realize that until I got there and saw how beat down, not only physically, but emotionally, some of these guys were. Wow, the image Broken is bones, strong. Uh, facial disfigurations, uh, they were cut, they were, you know, lucky to still be alive. I had my first black belt by the time I was 10. I hold belts in three different disciplines. So the last thing you want to do is take on a large group of people. If you can go to where it's one-on-one, -on -one, you're the most safe. Okay, there's a fight scene going on now. I choked him out. I cut off his air supply, so eventually he was gonna go out and I could let go. Pedophilia is the actual sexual interest, regardless of whether a person buries it and never tells a soul and never does anything about it their entire life, or if they actually act on it. There are pedophiles who never molest children, and there are child molesters who are not actually pedophilic. 
Okay, we we got to stop it there because that's education that I think we all need to get with, including myself, right? Because I'm in this with you. I am learning as I go. I am a. I started this in a blank slate. I was a mechanical engineer before I did this. I am learning and studying as I go. This is important, as I know there's a few people out there that keep criticizing me for this. Pedophilia is the diagnosis for the attraction to children not all paedophiles commit the crime then he goes on to say not all child molesters are paedophiles so some people who molest a child are just opportunistic and they just go for that situation it doesn't mean that their primary attraction is underage children but then we need to take it one step further because what this psychologist said to us a little bit earlier in the documentary is that paedophilia is the primary attraction to prepubescent children and hebophilia is the attraction to postpubescent children that are under age. So there are categories here. You may not care about that. I was not that interested in that when I started this. But as we start to talk about this deeper in more technical language um, and we start to attract the attention of academia on my pages, I need to get the terminology right. And I think it's interesting or useful for us to have the terminology right. So in summary, paedophilia is the diagnosis that your primary attraction is prepubescent children hebophilia is postpubescent children not all pedophiles actually commit the crime not all child molesters are pedophiles lots of information there for us to run with the most heinous cases the ones associated with violence the ones associated with kidnapping murder and mutilation of the body those are people who have two diagnoses one of them is the pedophilia itself the actual sexual interest in children uh, the other is what we usually call psychopathy. These are people who are generally unable to see other people as people. They're merely toys to play with, to do whatever it is that they want with. They're thankfully rare. Wow. He would lure me and invite me to uh, go out in a boat at the local yacht club because I was uh, roaming around the streets then. A Nova Scotia man whose convictions for sexually assaulting boys in the 70s and 80s were overturned in court is tonight behind bars in Nepal for allegedly sexually abusing a minor there. This news, disturbing as it is, comes as no surprise to one of those who says he suffered abuse at the hands of Ernest Fenwick McIntosh. Amanda Devison has the story. Okay, this is the victim speaking out here. Like the father figure, he put you in bed, he'd tuck you in, and I would remember trying to fall asleep and not trying to fall asleep, but all of a sudden, before you knew it, your underwear are down, and he's, he's, he's uh, orally raping me. My goodness. I felt so ashamed and embarrassed to myself, but not only that, I remember when he finished, when he did that to me, he patted me on the head and said, good boy, oh and I, my I felt like a dog. Come on. 
But then when you talk to your buddies, you know, play hockey or school, then they said, oh, uh, we saw you with Fruity Finn. You're a fruit too, and that was the term back there. Pedophilia wasn't a term for me. Uh, people said uh, Macintosh was homosexual, but, but he wasn't. He was a 31-year-old predator that was abusing children. You're never over. It's like a tattoo. It will never go away. It wasn't consensual, and it was a horrible thing that he did. And it, and it, and it shaped me. Uh, it shaped me uh, the way I acted and acted out. Is pedophilia a disease? I can't answer that. <laughs> but if it is, I, I, I hope there's help for them. Now that we've learned so much throughout this documentary, that is a striking question. Is paedophilia a disease? My goodness. We've heard about the brain. We've heard from people that have this in their head. We've heard from a victim now. And that is a, that's a, that's quite the impactful question, isn't it? Is paedophilia a disease? Wow. The Dunkelfeld project came about the time I was looking for it. I felt like I couldn't trust my own feelings or the way I assess certain situations. Early on in the phone interview, they diagnosed me as a hebephile. I thought, okay, I'm not weird enough that the people like me don't exist at all. Before therapy began, I was very, very nervous. What kind of men are attracted to children? Most of us in the group had committed an assault, some only once, some more often. There was one of us who was much older. He had abused his granddaughter for many years. There were several sessions focused on empathy. And we were asked to play our victims in a reenactment of our assaults. Wow. I couldn't do anything but suffer through it. It was terrifying. I didn't have the option of saying, stop you dirty bastard or something to that effect. Oh my goodness. Because at that moment, the man sitting behind me was my teacher. A teacher that I really liked. For the oh, first time, I realized that a girl this young couldn't really be expected to fight this experience. But back to the piano scene. I understood it in my head, but I had never felt it. It was the worst day of therapy. But I realized just how wrong it was to advance on such a young girl. As an adult, under no circumstances could I ever let this happen again. <sighs> For the people who say there is no cure for these people. I also, 
a good part of me believes that to be true completely. But for them to go through some form of therapeutic process in whatever way relates to them and this guy's explaining that his therapy session actually put him back in the place of the child and very interestingly that was the the guy that was the piano teacher and it showed him what that girl was thinking when he abused her when he molested her when he assaulted her the powerless feeling that that girl felt it gave him that feeling and if that kind of therapy is going to prevent one person from committing another crime we're taking that right we're taking it straight away if it's going to prevent one in a hundred people from committing another crime we're definitely taking that that was so striking I just can't believe it now it's making me think maybe if I could get some therapists or counsellors or psychiatrists who deal with offenders onto my podcast, that's going to give us another level of um, information, education, understanding on how we can better protect children moving forward into the future because that's the goal. Let's continue. It's difficult to imagine what it must be like to grow up as a pedophile. When a pre-pedophile even is eight years old and gets a crush on another eight-year-old, nobody notices. But when the pedophile is 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and still getting crushes on an eight-year-old, it begins to dawn on him that, oh, he's not going to catch up. They're not gonna be able to fall in love, have a relationship of equals, have children in the reproductive kind of way. Usually my experience with a pedophile is that they commit their offenses when they feel the most desperate. And it is upon this realization when they realize that they're not going to have the kind of a life that they really wanted and that most of us expect and are even entitled to, that's really when they start feeling the most desperate. The most important part really for, uh, for a pedophile is the same as anybody else, a sense of being connected to other people others who share a similar experience. Now, the nature of pedophilia and the stigma about it being what it is, sometimes that can only be anonymous uh, interactions, uh, for example, over the internet. And for many people, that's enough. If you happen to be a minor attracted person, hey, look up before you act. It's, it's a fantastic group of guys that are more than happy to to hear your story um and we've been through it you know i read a lot of a lot of new stories online and you know they're they're all so familiar still to me you know because it wasn't that long ago you know um wasn't that long ago that you know i was a kid you know it wasn't that long ago that i was a teenager and realized oh my god this is something I'm probably going to carry with me for the rest of my life. So that quick, I'm going to call it short story, was really impactful. Listen to this. So you're eight years old and you've got a crush on another eight-year-old girl that's in your school and maybe your boyfriend and girlfriend and it's all 
very childlike. Then you get to 11 years old and you're still looking at the eight-year-olds, but you're only 11 years old, so you can't, haven't got the maturity to understand that that's a thing, nothing's going on. Uh, you've got a girlfriend in your own year group, but really you're looking at the, still looking at the eight-year-olds. Then you get to 13 and you're still looking at the eight-year-olds. Then 15, now you're turning into a young man and you realise, hang on a minute, there's something weird with me. There's something weird going on. There's something, I'm not like the other boys, what's happening? That probably is a truly scary place for a young man to be in. Can you even imagine that? Then you get to 17 and 19, like, you got any, let me let me just check this. Let me just ask you this question. Do you have any empathy? Let's use the word empathy for this situation. Do you have any empathy for that person in this story that we're using? Do you have any empathy when he's 11 and he he is looking at the eight-year-old girls but doesn't even realise it because he's, he's not of that maturity? Any empathy? You feel sorry for him having that situation in his head? Then when he's 13 and then 15, do you still have empathy for him? Because essentially he's still a child, he's still an underage teenager, he's under the age of consent, he's what we consider a minor in society. So let's say the fifth, when he's 15 and he still recognises, oh my goodness, there's something weird with me, there's something wrong with me, I still like the eight-year-olds, why hasn't that moved on like all my mates have? Do you have empathy for him then? And then what level, what age do you, do, do you lose that? What age does it turn into anger? Um, or, or do you carry that level of empathy through all the ages, even if he's 23, 25, as long as he hasn't committed the crime yet? Next thing, this gentleman talks about there being online groups where men um, who are, are can, can confide in each other and support each other and encourage each other, and that is called Before You Act. I haven't actually checked that out, but um, I know there's a couple of chat rooms or, or groups of people on the internet that people can go to when they're feeling desperate, like they're going to commit the crime, and these people, all anonymous, say, come on, mate, don't do that. You're not, you, you don't want to hurt a child, and and I am going to say it again, and that's that we know this isn't everyone that has this attraction. We know that this isn't everyone that has this thing in their head, um, this abnormality in this head. Can I call it that now, now that we've seen the research? The abnormality in their head. Some people don't care. I've got to say it again. Some people just don't give an F. But for the people that do, that don't want to commit the crime and are working hard to never commit the crime, are these groups on the internet a good thing? before we start the documentary again, minor attracted persons. I have a lot of concern with that terminology. I'm not going to get into that now. Let's continue with the documentary. But I do have something to say about that and maybe we'll cover that a little bit of a later stage in this video. Let's see if, if, if it gets said again. I was contacted by a 17-year-old from Canada. <coughs> He was scared because he was attracted to prepubescent boys. At one point, he said, if you don't hear from me again, I'm considering suicide. I didn't hear from him again. Wow. If you want to protect children, 
Why is there no help for these people who are sexually attracted to children? Why is there nowhere that these people can go? Why do you wait until a crime has been committed and then you go? Oh my goodness. Like, like, I just got to tell you who this guy is. Okay. He is the Before You Act board member. Um, being played by an actor. But check out what he's saying here. I mean, emotions aside, surely this is this is just common. You know what? This is just common sense, right? Check this out. Just check this out. If you want to protect children, why is there no help for these people who are sexually attracted to children? Why is there nowhere that these people can go? Why do you wait until a crime has been committed and then you go out and prosecute somebody, but until then, you do nothing? <sighs> My goodness. Mike, who founded Before You Act, wasn't ashamed of his sexuality. And I try not to be. Over time, as I thought about my fantasies, it became apparent that it was really ages 12 to 14 that were the most attractive to me. A lot of people seem to think it's strange to think of boys that age as being kind and considerate and sweet. But they can be. I've met several that are. Oh, if sexuality is like other aspects of life, it's sort of silly to say that children aren't sexual. If children can be artistic, if they can be musical, if they have cognitive functioning, then of course they're going to be sexual in some way. Uh, okay, I don't like any of this. I don't like any. I don't like any of this. I don't like any of this. Let's just let him finish what he's saying. And then I'm going to say things. Mike had a fairly long-term relationship with a boy. He was arrested for it and did some prison time. Oh my God, I'm angry. When he got out of prison, he said he was tired of hiding. Hiding this important part of who he was. In this video he made shortly before he died of emphysema, he said that to come out to people was the most important thing he ever did in his life. It was his way of being complete. Coming out. That's the most important thing that I could ever do. It tells me that I'm alive. It tells me that I have a place in this world. What coming out means, it means that I'm not afraid. It means that I'm not afraid. Okay, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. That was just the um, the founder of Before You Act talking. I, I just want to um, comment on that bit about people who think, and I'm not going to get this completely correct, right, from what the documentary just said, but the summary in my head is children of 12 and 13 People say they can't be sexual, but they can. They can be artistic, so therefore they can be sexual and they're in, they actually have a sexual interest. Something like that. Something like that. I don't care about that viewpoint, right? We are saying that a child under the age of 16 here in England cannot consent to sexual interest. So as an adult, you have to leave them alone. You leave them alone. They are under the age of consent. In this country, you leave them alone. 
I don't care if you think they could be sexual or even if they're going through puberty and they're doing sexual things with other people in their year group. I don't care about that. They don't want you. So don't go grooming them. They are under the age of consent. That means, that doesn't mean that they cannot have sex or or be in sexual situations. What that means is, as an adult, you cannot go near them. I don't care what you think about if they're sexual beings at a certain age, which is under the age of consent. If you're an adult, you do not go near them. They're the rules. And if you break those rules, we don't like you. End of. Nick Devon was a member of Before You Act. But the group took no official position against adult child sex. So he left. By the time I contacted him, he had hired a web developer. And I'd helped him create what would become a different kind of support group for a different kind of pedophile. Okay, what's this? My God, I can hardly take this. Child sexual abuse is wrong. Dead wrong. When I read about it, my stomach turns. This view would not be the least bit remarkable if I wasn't both romantically and sexually attracted to young girls. Okay, this is the founder of another organization talking here called Virtuous Pedophiles. I'm also attracted to older females. I was married for many years and raised three daughters. I didn't realize the full nature of my attraction until I was in my mid-fifties. Oh, but it was there feel sick, man. all along. Pedophiles know that they are perhaps the most viscerally hated group on earth. Most take great pains to make sure their attraction remains a secret. I've walked around where everything looked gray. Absolutely everything. And then some little girl would walk by with a parent and it would be a spot of color. The girl was color. I wasn't even dreaming of anything sexual or romantic, just her existence. Why couldn't adult women be that spot of color? For most men, that would be enough. I I don't know if I can take it. I don't know if I can take any more of this. When did we get to this? When did we... When did we arrive as, like, a human race? When did the brain arrive at this? It's so sexually deviant. I can hardly believe it. When, when did... When did sex arrive at this? 
looking at children as if they are what he said a spot of color that adults cannot be and therefore i find them sexually attractive when did we get to this how how wrong how wrong has your brain got to be this is in the humane this is not humanity this is this is far from a caring society like when when did we get to this has it always been this deviant this sickening like that's a that's a malfunction of the brain surely that's a that's a that's an uneducated malfunction of the brain i always try to think well are we not doing enough young boys with young boys having enough conversation because this man that's talking here that actually made me feel like i could vomit he was a young boy once he was a young man once how how has he ended up at this i found myself with these heavy duty suicidal thoughts I managed to get myself admitted and then ultimately agreed to electroconvulsive shock therapy. Oh, wow. Think about the situation of a teen pedophile. Society has you pegged as one of the most despicable people on the planet. If you found the courage to talk to a school counselor or see a psychotherapist, they could treat you with revulsion and report you to the police. By comparison, the outlook for gay and lesbian youth seems positively sunny. Before I read what's on the screen, I don't think we should get into comparing an attraction to children, a, fit, a, a, a sexual attraction to children with gay and lesbians. I think that would be very dangerous, surely surely to start trying to compare those to each other i also think it's a bit dangerous and and this may be my uneducated view in terms of psychologists and people like that but i don't even think we should call it a, a um a sexual orientation i i, I don't i, I feel there there seems like a danger to that for me and and you know i as i learn more i may see the pros and cons of that but right now i don't like it i really don't Okay, on the screen, Virtuous Paedophiles has become the worst world's largest online support group for non-offending paedophiles. Non-offending paedophiles. Name, but this is now a large departure from previous groups which say that they're fighting for children's rights to be sexual. But really, the virtuous pedophiles are, I think, much more realistic about what it is that society is able and willing and should tolerate. These are people who realized over the course of life that they are sexually attracted to children and that they can't act on it. Essentially, they swear themselves to a life of celibacy, which is, of course, no easy thing for anybody. Virtuous pedophiles effectively saved me. You know, I've been very close particularly over the last three years, to suicide. I thought about hanging, and I'd looked into all the, the, 
the details that I'd need to consider, you know, for my weight and my height, the rope needed to be a certain length. You know, if somebody's going through a tough time, you know, or somebody's, some, somebody's in a, a situation uh, with a child. We, we can encourage people to, to, to live a non-offending life. Do I want people like Ethan Edwards and Nick Devon to come out? I would love them to come out, purely because then I could get behind them, particularly the young people who are pedophilic. We need to be presenting role models to pedophilic people who are living good lives. The more open <laughs> I think we're way a person off that, can right? be, I think, at least for me, the more happy I am. If I can be totally open, I'm pretty happy with myself then. And I mean, I'm not saying that happy people don't do stupid things, you know, you know, but um, I think that happy people tend to not want to hurt others. When we leave this world, we all go to the same place. The only heaven and hell that we have is here on Earth. God tests everybody. And that's my test. What do I do with, with this body, with these feelings, with these thoughts? And so far I've made many mistakes, but I've not made, to use the Catholic term, the cardinal error of, of interacting with a child. non-offending life that's knowing that pedophilia is biological right? and as best as we can determine unchangeable we can stop worrying about making the problem worse we're talking about people who cannot act out their sexual interests you know without risking harm to a genuine child so of course we start thinking about what the other alternatives might be text-based porn is an obvious one well what about a doll Oh my goodness. Okay. The the child sex doll thing. I made a YouTube video about that, only available on YouTube, not podcast, about if sex child sex dolls are help a help or a hindrance. Will they help people get that desire out of them so that they don't actually um go for a, a real child or are they a hindrance because the sex doll is just a gateway into wanting the real thing i thought it was really interesting maybe i need to redo that video because i did that like two years ago if you if you go onto my channel and you type um child sex dolls help or hindrance you're going to find that I, I i recorded that like two years ago and i've learned so much and, and i t and i talk about things in such a different way now maybe i need to address that um but yeah, that's it. it's interesting, right? Help or hindrance? I wonder what you think. What about a life-size doll of a child? All of a sudden, we're in a very uncomfortable position, but a very important position right. in that we do need seriously to rethink, are we making the problem worse instead of better, or are we just making laws that are expensive to enforce to no foreseeable good? Wow. We have reached around 5,000. But if you 
estimate one person prevalence for the male population in Germany, there must be 250,000 uh, wow. inclined men uh, with this erotic preference for prepubescent children. Wow, wow, wow. A project like the Prevention Project Dunkelfeld and prevention projects in general are usually extremely cost-effective. Once somebody is apprehended, sent to jail, and then often civilly committed, is somewhere between $100,000 and $200,000 per person per year. If a program like the Prevention Project Dunkelfeld prevents even just a small handful of cases, it would very, very easily pay for itself. Okay, the words on the screen. In 2013, Prevention Project Dunkelfeld launched a national awareness campaign. War schon klar, wie man über solche wie mich denkt. Krank. Oh, sorry for those that are listening, it's in a different uh, Dachte ich ja auch. language. Dabei habe ich meine Fantasie noch nie ausgelebt. Durch die Therapie habe ich gelernt, niemand ist schuld an seiner sexuellen Neigung. Aber jeder verantwortlich für sein Verhalten. Ich will kein Täter werden. Präventive Therapie verhindert sexuellen Kindesmissbrauch. Here's the words on the screen. At 1% prevalence, Canada would be home to 160,000 pedophiles. Okay, volunteers keep offenders from reoffending, offering them around the clock. Sometimes support. people say, well, why would you want to provide support for somebody who's committed some pretty heinous offenses, uh, sexually, often against very vulnerable people or children? And that's a good question. The reason that a circle of support and accountability is there is to make sure that that individual buys into the bottom line of a circle of support and accountability, which is that there be no more victims. Peterborough is the home to 124 registered sex offenders, one of 15 places across Canada Mr. where circles of support and accountability operate. So we've got a parole officer, a police officer, a realtor, and the list goes on. It's meant to be an illustration of the community being here um, for you, supporting you, um, as well as holding you accountable. We're all here because we want you to succeed. We don't want to see you reoffend. We don't want you to go back to prison. So these circles hold these offenders accountable for not reoffending, and that police officer that's in that circle, they're all volunteers, says, we want to see you succeed. And it's almost like this a weird choice of language, isn't it? But we want offenders to succeed in not offending again. No more victims. No more victims. That's what we're after. There are people who have children, very young children, who say to me, uh, if I couldn't do everything possible to make this world a safer place to live for my child, then what am I doing uh, really on behalf of my child? When you provide positive pro-social individuals to interact with somebody coming from prison, the rate of sexual reoffense goes down by upwards of 70 to 75% compared to people who don't have a circle of support in very similar circumstances. Wow. After being introduced in over seven different countries, these circles was defunded by the Canadian government in 2014, my goodness. We fought like crazy for him I didn't think 
that they would just automatically take him because he was adopted at the time. Okay, this is the guy that has the foster child and got caught with 25 images of children, pornographic images of children, and charged and sentenced for 48 months in prison. Our last visit with him was kind of a goodbye visit. Extremely tough for me. Extremely tough for Lori. But surely it's got to be that way. For my wife. But his uh, social worker actually took me aside and said to me, she sat me down and said, you know, Bobby, um, you know, this situation is horrible. Um, but I do, I do know that you did not touch him in any sexual way. And <laughs> I broke down right there because that's all I had been telling people all along. And, you know, if, if they would have understood that, you know, to begin with, and just said, okay, you know what? You broke the law. Okay, if you have to go to jail or if you have to go to prison, so be it. Why take him out of a, out of a home where he was extremely happy? Mm, no, mate. <laughs> no, mate. No. You were caught looking at indecent images of children. Images of a sexual nature on your computer. <laughs> yes, let's get that foster child that you take care of out of your house. ASAP, because we're not running the risk. You can tell us as much as you like that you, you've got no interest in him. But we, ain't, we, we don't take the risk with that. You've been convicted of an offence. We now need to get all children away from you because we cannot risk that one day, one day you may fall over. One day you may give in to that temptation. You may think you're strong for 99% of the time, but that one time something may trigger you. You may be having a bad day. I don't know. I don't know what the circumstance would need to be, but we get children away from you if you've been convicted, right? Your life isn't going to be the same anymore if you've been convicted. You don't get the rights and the normal life that others get when you've committed a sexual crime against a child, whether that be online or in person. That's the rules, mate. That's the rule. So don't don't get all sad that your foster kid has been taken out of your care. Yes, he may have been having a great life with you, but now he's at risk. You should have thought about that before you committed the crime against a child. It's got to be some there's got to be some lines here. And if you cross them, we're not happy. To assume that all paedophiles are going to act on their impulses would suggest that all male adults are rapists or potential rapists. What? Society, in their ignorance, they say, well, if you have a pedophilic tendency, you're gonna do something. Inevitably, at some time in your life, you are gonna sexually interact with a child. I've had this conversation with people. I've said to them, look, I'm attracted to little girls. And it's, you know, when are you going to do something about it then? You know, you, inevitably you're going to act on this. And I'm like, no, no.
hating and pushing away and driving out is the easiest thing in the world to do. The hardest thing in the world to do is to look at someone who is afflicted with pedophilia and find there some room for compassion. Not everybody can. But if you look deeply, if you look really hard, you'll find the human being in there. If you've ever, if I've ever been on a roller coaster of emotions before, that was it. That made me feel 100 ways, like 100 ways. There's so many things in that documentary that are facts over feelings. There's so many things in that documentary that are common sense, but there's a few things in there that I don't like. But what an incredible thing to actually see it from the person that has either has committed the crime or hasn't committed the crime but feels tempted to and I know we're talking about a select portion of of, of these criminals but or, or these people that have this in their head but wow 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 and now we've just got our fingers crossed if you're actually watching along with this on YouTube, that James Canton, um, clinical psychologist, we have our fingers crossed that this interview with him is going to go through. I'm planning to do it in the next couple of weeks. He said yes to it. I hope I can get him on because I've got so many. I just think it's going to be an incredible conversation with him. Like, I wonder how you feel. I wonder how you feel. I wonder if... You were thinking a certain way at the start of this video or this podcast, and now you're thinking differently. I wonder if this has changed you in, in, in any way, or I wonder if it has only reinforced what you already thought uh, about these people, or the situation, or society, or how we're going to handle this, or if we're doing it completely wrong at the moment. Are we making the problem worse? That's what they said in the documentary, right? Are they making the problem worse? Now, please, if you feel angry towards me because I even did this, because I even reviewed this documentary, please don't. Please don't feel angry towards me because of this. I'm just trying to investigate the situation from all angles because I was a child that was sexually abused in a horrific way when I was eight years old. Oral sex, kissing, fondling, masturbation, the lot. He was 25. I don't want that to happen to another child. It's happening to children all the time right now. And unless we start just investigating and talking and understanding people who have done research, understanding people who have got live, real lived experience... And just all coming together to find the best solutions as quickly as possible. Then we're not going to get anywhere with this. And I fear that the birth of the internet has only accelerated this crime. We are in the stone ages with this conversation. When are we going to get up to speed on this? Because otherwise we're just going to keep getting more and more and more and more and more and more victims. This is crazy. So please don't just be angry at me if you are feeling anger towards me. We're trying to get this conversation evolved. We're trying to evolve this conversation. So I hope that this brought you some, at least something to think about. 
And even though I definitely do feel nervous reviewing videos like this, I also am going to continue doing that because my mission, as it is your mission, is to stop there being so many victims and to allow children to have the playful childhood that they deserve and that it is their right to have not to be around adults that are looking at them to see whether they can groom them for an opportunity for a sexual interaction we want to stop that and here we're trying to do that thank you so much for joining me on this Wow, how wow. So you got to the end of this podcast episode. I wonder what you thought about it. Crazy, right? I couldn't stop thinking about it after I reviewed this documentary. Absolutely fascinating and incredible food for thought at the very least. I wonder if it's changed your opinions on anything or it's only reinstated what you thought before you got to this podcast episode. Just to, due to the fact that you've got to the end of it, please do press the like button on whatever platform you using to consume this content and if there's a comment section available please do leave your thoughts in the comment section at the very least leave an emoji leave a thumbs up because that helps with the algorithm and as I said at the start of this podcast episode if you'd like to support what I do so that it can improve the quality of the content there's merchandise available there's a patreon available and there's a donation button on my website jeremyindica.com where you can contribute to the work that I do thank you so much for being here thank you so much for getting to the end of this podcast episode we're moving forward with this thank you